You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Chicago Bears lose their fourth straight game in a Monday night thriller that unfortunately they don't come out on the right end of. I bring on Rashab Sikri of Da Windy City Productions on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And honestly, I am way too jazzed up for 11 p.m. as the Bears not only took a game the whole 60 minutes that looked like it was over right at the start, but I'm here with Rashad Sikri, oh gosh, almost had it there, uh, of DWC Productions. We're ready to break this game down because what a wild one as Justin Fields not only eclipses 200 yards for the first time in a little while, but he hits 291 passing, a touchdown, an interception, adds 40 plus rushing. I'd have to go back and check in, I think, a statement game, something really, really cool to see. Rashab, how you feeling? I'm feeling amazing, man. I know I was talking with you in the pregame, but... This is probably the happiest I've ever been about a Bears loss probably in my entire life just because for the first time, I truly feel like the Bears have a star quarterback, a future star quarterback. Obviously, he's not the level of a star quarterback right now, but the progression we're seeing from him every single week, even though you know the offensive line is still not 100% good, we have a very big lack of weapons too. Our play caller has a lot of question marks about him, even considering all of that. To go on the road on primetime television and to put up the performance that you did after everything that happened in that game, right? Like we had the refs calling everything against us. And man, we we just, how many penalties did we have in that game, by the way? Wasn't it like 19 or something? I'd have to go back and look, but I mean, it was at least 11 last night. I mean, obviously, obviously a lot, but. To, to yeah. piggyback off of that, 12 looks like we've gotten the chat. But okay, okay. the scariest part about it, you mentioned penalties. Penalties is one thing, but we've got, and this is just going off the top of my head, four offsides, an illegal formation, a roughing the pa- or a, a hit after the whistle, a taunting penalty, and you could say that a ton of these were garbage. And I am going to, as soon as we're done with, you get a response on this. We're going to put a moratorium on ref talk for at least 15 minutes. I think we can agree that there's enough other stuff we can talk about, but gracious alive, there were so many self-inflicted wounds from this Bears team. Some, again, let's say really ticky-tack calls, but we'll talk about that later. Even so, to see Justin Fields stand up in the moment down 20 to 26, I mean, that's one of those, like, you can't write the script any better. And on third and one, he puts a dot in Allen Robinson's hands, follows it up immediately with a ball that looked so unbelievably calm to, to Darnell Mooney for a 16-yard score that, honestly, you could have pinched me and I probably would have woken up if I had it to do over again. Like, that... That was something that you you see on your Xbox. That was something that you've gone to bed dreaming about as a Bears fan. But to see it in real life, like that's the Chicago Bears quarterback. It's hard for me to not just be over the moon. You know what I mean? Man. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of games where Trub- I'm not I'm not trying to like hate on Trubisky or anything, obviously. But this reminds me of Trubisky's rookie year, where like he had so many moments late in games because we were actually in a lot of those games just because. I don't, I don't think we lost a lot of games by like multiple possessions the first year, but a lot of the times, man, like Trubisky just came up short. Like it was either like an interception or like out of bounds or something, but I really feel like Justin Fields actually has it, right? Like I saw on Twitter, did he audible into that play to Allen Robinson, by the way? Oh. I didn't. <laughs> I have no play, idea. I, guess. I yeah. have to see it again. Yeah, but... there's no way to know right now, I guess, but if you guys know, definitely you know talk about it in the chat or whatever, but. According to some people, he audible into that play, but whatever the case is, to make that throw on third and one and followed up by 
that passed to Darnell Mooney as well. Like that is just that's something that like veteran quarterbacks do that have like three, four years experience in the league. That's not something you see out of a rookie usually. Yep. So that was amazing. And you know, the funniest part about talking about fields, because we have to talk about it, right? There were some major down moments. Like if you want to talk about the rookie roller coaster, oh, we were all over the place. Like he had a couple balls that just flat missed their spot. I can think of one where he led Marquise Goodwin much too far and almost got his head taken off. Another to Allen Robinson that massively missed a curl route spot, LOL curl routes and as among other things one where i thought this was the funniest one and probably the least like problematic but justin fields pulled the ball down on a quick scramble pointed out to cole Kmet to block a guy on his right and promptly ran straight into him i mean like there are some plays that definitely would make you go ah, that's kind of weird but the whole point of the rookie roller coaster and what I think matters, right, is that every time the rookie makes a mistake, they then return it with some kind of big play. And at the end of the day, on where the Bears could really only seemingly run the ball out of the Wildcat, which is its own conversation, but all of their other offensive drives were kickstarted by big throws by none other than Justin Fields. And I think that's important, especially when you're playing a defense to the caliber, caliber of the Steelers. It has to be, man. I mean, also the thing that I really like the most is that he's put together back-to-back now pretty stutter performances, right? Like he had that game last week against the 49ers where he actually performed pretty well, in my opinion. He also had, you know, some mistakes, obviously. But for the most part, you could say that was a good game by Justin Fields when looking at everything around him. And then he followed that up with this performance again, which, like you mentioned, there were mistakes. There were overthrown balls. There were some, you know, mistakes at the line of scrimmage as well. There was a lot of stuff that he did wrong obviously but to come back and especially that last touch on drive man that was like one of the most amazing things i've seen so you know obviously rookie mistakes are going to happen but feels like so far he's learning from the majority of them so i think we're still in good hands Mm -hmm. now there's another player that i have to talk about let's go through game balls right and if you want to i'll leave a certain game ball for you but there is somebody that i have to talk about because out of absolutely nowhere i feel so I'll just say his name. There are a lot of people, whether it's on Windy City Gridiron, whether it's on Bears Twitter, that have just gone after Cole Komet in an almost brutal fashion. I mean, like, just because he was drafted in the second round, it became paramount that he become a thousand-yard receiver. And if he doesn't, he sucks, and so on and so forth. And I I was never huge on Kmet, but as people started pulling deep into the negatives, all of a sudden the fact that I was saying, feels, I mean, he looks like a single, maybe a double, like that, that became, I'm now high on Cole Kmet. And hey, tonight, with an 87-yard game, six receptions, and all of them important, Cole Kmet came up big. And there's nothing to say that he is going to be this every single game. But, and I haven't checked the stats yet, it wouldn't surprise me if he's now got more receiving yards than Allen Robinson on the season. And for a Bears passing attack that is not moving the ball well, how do I not mention number 85, who seems to be catching most of the opportunities thrown his way, though obviously he's had some pretty high profile, I don't want to call them miscues, but moments where he hasn't come up as big as you'd want him. Even so, tonight, especially what was it that uh there are a couple fields there are a couple of these where i can clearly tell i'm getting confused with jimmy graham like that seed up the seam that graham caught over his shoulder but number 85 was all over the place he looked like the dependable kyle rudolph-esque tight end that bears fans wanted to see i don't know i feel like you got to mention him you know what i mean you have to man he had an amazing game probably the best game of his career in my opinion right like Obviously, in the middle of the field, he was big on multiple throws. That first drive that we had, that I think it led to a field goal. Yeah, it did let you. It did lead to a field goal. But on that drive, I think it was all passes to Cole Komet, and he was making some pretty nice catches too. Like he had to jump for one. He had to kind of go to the side for one. So I think that people definitely are giving up on Cole Komet a little bit too early because even though there's no way he's going to be Travis Kelsey in my opinion or like any of like he's not that type of tight end. Obviously, he's not that athletic. He doesn't have that same physical profile, but he could be a solid, like you mentioned, like Kyle Rudolph type of tight end, which if we pair him up with some speedy wideouts on the end and then add another tight end, like that could actually be a good option for fields. And we saw that in this game. So, yeah, that's a good point. Bring you up. Uh, mm-hmm. Come at, man. Now, yeah. for your offensive game ball, who do you want to give it to? 
I'm sure this is uh, no surprise to anybody, but definitely rookie quarterback Justin Fields because, guys, in my pregame video, if you saw this on YouTube, I picked the Bears to lose. I think it was like 21 to 17. So I definitely did not see this offensive explosion. I don't know if you want to call it offensive explosion, but it kind of was, man. At least for the Bears, I did not see this coming whatsoever because the Steelers also, I think they had a top 10 defense entering this game, right? Like according to DVOA, even yards given up, I think they were top 10 in like a lot of the different metrics. So to go up against a pass rush that had obviously, you know, TJ Watt, they had Cam Hayward in there. I, I I think he got injured though in the middle of the game. So Cam Hayward was not there the entire time. But regardless, like they had an amazing pass rush. They had a good secondary too. And to go up against that, with all the miscues we had on offense too, with, you know, the penalties that we were making too, with the play calling sometimes, you know, being questionable after all that to come back and almost win the game. As a rookie on the road on primetime, you have to get the game ball for that. I think there's no contest here. I mean, one thing that I think can become incredibly difficult when it comes to Bears fans evaluating quarterbacks is I heard somebody say this a while ago. I actually kind of agree. Bears fans are brutal to quarterbacks. Like, God forbid you miss a pass because we tend to act like even though obviously like league standard completion percentage is somewhere between 65 and 70 that when Justin Fields on the hop spots Darnell Mooney 45 yards downfield oh he's got to hit that or when he leaves a ball about five yards short to Marquise Goodwin on a 50 yard completion mm, come on get it out there that's a touchdown like there were definitely little ticky tack things that you could pick on Fields for and he had plenty of rookie moments the interception that looked like he threw it straight to a defensive lineman I haven't seen it a second time maybe the guy just closed off the window in some kind of beautiful way but you can't yeah, really yeah. be throwing those I think I think anybody's gonna agree with that but there's yeah, just 100%. too much good you know I think commentators were saying that was like kind of a tough play and feels just gotten lucky but like you mentioned you probably you probably shouldn't show that sh- shouldn't throw that that low at least <laughs> it's it's one of those where I look at it and I think to myself the big plays were there. Rising to the moment was there. I mean, Fields took 26 seconds at the very end of the game and made it feel interesting in a way that I legitimately didn't expect because I was like, well, we don't have a timeout. We're done. You know what I mean? But so Fields absolutely deserves a game ball. I had a feeling you'd pick him. I just had to at least call out the receiving leader of the evening. But Okay, so we're about six minutes into the show, and um, unfortunately, we have not talked about the ball, the side of the ball, I think has been a bit of a disappointment. Like, we've got to talk defense at some point, right? Yeah. What did you think about the evening's defensive showing? So I definitely didn't think it was as bad as I thought it was going to be, at least with how they started out the game. How many yards did they give up, though? I have this. I'll take a look at that while you keep going. I got it. It's uh, so they allowed 280 yards and we had 414 offensive yards. Damn. So we thoroughly outgained them at least um, yep. in the game. But I think our defense, the thing is like they were having some moments where they're creating some insane stops. Like in the middle of that game, even when our offense was sputtering, they're coming up with stops like back to back to back. So that was obviously a positive sign, but especially with not having Khalil Mack, man, the loss of Khalil Mack hurts the Bears defense like way more than people want to admit and also eddie jackson as well okay i know a lot of people hate on him for his tackling issues or whatnot but for the most part i still think he's a better player in coverage than people give him credit for so obviously not having eddie jackson not having khalil mack that's going to hurt us but regardless i do agree we don't have the cornerbacking talent right now to really put up with you know receivers like this right like they have so many good receivers on this Steelers receiving core so you know deontay johnson he was mossing Kinda Wilder multiple times out there. We had other guys mossing other guys. So I think the overall performance, it was not good by any means because we still didn't play good enough to win this game. We still allowed some easy touchdowns, but I don't th- I don't think it was like as bad as people say it is, at least on Twitter. So I feel like what's hard about this is that I want to be there too. But I'm pretty sure the Steelers just scored more points than they've scored the entire season. So at while the while the yards were relatively low, you got to remember that there's nothing harder to gain than yards that aren't in front of you, considering that the Steelers started on their side of the 50 uh, at least three times, maybe four. I mean, the Steelers got plenty of short fields, but the Bears defense did not seem like it could come could come up with a stop when they needed to. And 
I don't know. It's hard, especially because like you're talking about, like on one hand, we are talking about a defense that's missing $45 million of cap space if you consider Mac and Ejax not on the field. I'm also a huge fan of what the Bears can do with Eddie Jackson because I think there's a huge reason that you did not see Kendall Vildor picked on like he was tonight when Ejax was on the field. Lo and behold, he comes off of it and suddenly you see Duke Shelley and Danny Trevathan and Kendall Vildor just getting picked apart. What they were able, what Desai is able to do with disguising coverages with Eddie Jackson in the backfield, it it makes a big difference. It's a big loss, but goodness gracious, twenty two struggled so badly this evening. Know what he I did. mean? He got mossed so many times in this game, which some of them they were kind of tough, obviously, because the receivers he were going up against, like they were way taller than him, but still, like he had a lot of moments where he was beat and just getting caught on. And I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be in the Bears' plans long term. So I guess long-term, it doesn't matter that much. But, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points. Like, I, I wasn't trying to say the Bears' defense was, like, good in any way. I just think that it wasn't, like, absolutely horrible, like people were saying, considering the circumstances. But it obviously has to be better moving forward. I think what's hardest about this is that the Bears' defense did some things right on defense. Like, not only did you get the occasional pass deflection, not only did they actually do a pretty decent job against Najee Harris in the run game, but they, I mean, they seemed fairly scrappy. I don't know how else to say it, but Ben Roethlisberger throwing for 208 yards and all 208 of those yards felt really impactful. And not to mention, there are a couple plays that I can think of just off the top of my head, like Ben Roethlisberger's touchdown to, I think it was Pat Freermuth, where it felt like he had up to, upwards of six seconds in the pocket the one where Roethlisberger stepped in launched the ball as far as his poor arm would take it at this point and found somebody deep in the middle of the field where it felt like DeAndre Houston Carson who knows we'll have to see the all 22 was just lost back there there were too many of these plays that when you're going up against as poor a defensive team or offensive team as the Steelers are seeing those hurts that much more and again like here Justin Fields came out with the worst passing attack in football, puts up 20, 20 points even, if we're not counting the seven that comes off of the defensive touchdown that we'll get to later, because that was wild, raucous. But so he puts up 291 yards, helps get the team to 20 points that the defense then adds on to, and you lost, which is not good. You know what I mean? It's definitely not good enough, man. Like, I, I don't think anybody thinks our defense is, like, elite anymore. It's definitely nowhere close to what it used to be in 2018. But I I still give them credit somewhat for coming up with those stops in the middle just when our offense wasn't doing much of anything because they had a ton of short fields to work with as well. They had bad field position there. So it's it, it makes it kind of tough, obviously. But like you mentioned, they definitely weren't good enough to win this game. I feel like what's really brutal, and this is the hardest part, because I have seen a lot of Bears folks that are going back and forth on Desai. So before I launch into this, where are you at? If you had like a Desiometer, are you wavering? Still a fan? Where are you at? I'm kind of like in the middle on him right now. I don't know what to think, just because I feel like he doesn't have the most talent to work with in some ways, just because obviously he has big name guys like Khalil Mack, he has Eddie Jackson, he has... Other big stars that obviously they are good players in the NFL, but then you also have a cornerbacking trio with, you know, Kendall Vildor on it, a guy that has really not accomplished much success in the NFL before this. You also got Duke Shelley as well, you know, a late round pick that hasn't done much either. So I feel like he doesn't have the most talent to work with. And he's obviously he's had some good moments here and there, like the game against the Bengals. He did a fantastic job there. He had some other Really nice games. The Raiders game also is pretty good. So he's had some up and downs. And I just feel like it's not fair to give a complete grade on him so far just because it's only his first year and he also doesn't have the most talent to work with. So I'm kind of in the middle right now. Like There's some good things or some bad things, but overall, can't really give him a complete grade yet. I totally hear you. Now, granted, I'm a bit of a sucker for what somebody can do. Uh, I'll be the first to say that it definitely held me on to Matt Nagy for, I think, a little bit more longer than I could have been. But I've seen what Desai can do with talent. I mean, let's remember that he was able to do what he did against the Bengals, against the Raiders, and so on and so forth, with still with Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, Danny Trevathan, Alec Ogletree, Travis Gibson playing significant minutes. Like, the majority of the Bears' coverage net probably isn't very good 
at playing coverage football, but Desai was able to build a unit that I think allowed at one point less than 220 yard or passing yards per game through, I think, week five, which I think that means something, especially when then Cleo Mack, your... I, <laughs> I think a lot of Bears fans would laugh when I say this, but the crown jewel of the Bears secondary is still probably Eddie Jackson, even with uh, Jalen Johnson surging more so at the start of the season. I wouldn't say falling off late, but he was looking pretty incredible, so and so forth, like, and has now gotten to the point where he's solid as a CB1. I think about what Desai can do, and like you're saying, the talent difference between that defense and this defense is pretty remarkable. But at the same time, it's a bummer to be losing games against offensively challenged teams where you give up 29. You know what I mean? Oh, it 100% is, man. I think he's also struggled against the top-tier quarterbacks. Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger is not a top-tier quarterback. So tonight was kind of a bad showing overall. But going up against Tom Brady, going up against Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's obviously not a recipe for success usually. And when you don't have... The talents, like you mentioned, it's going to make it really hard. So I think the overall stats for the season now look pretty bad. I think we're like bottom 15 now and like yards given up and like other ratings. But I still think there's like stuff to be positive about in the future if he just gets, you know, more talents. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I mean, we'll see. Because like you're talking about, I mean, at this point, you think it's fair to say that the whole Bears coaching staff, like the seat is heating up. What do you think? Oh, dude, I think Nagy is gone after this season. I mean, I obviously don't have anything to back that up, but I just feel like unless we have, like, an offensive explosion for the next few games and, like, sneak into the playoffs somehow, I don't know how you can justify bringing him back because we still have so many penalties every single game. Like, our team still seems very undisciplined, you know, all these illegal formations and all. And even with the play calling, man, I don't know, if like, how much – credit to give to Nagy and how much credit to give to Fields for making some of these plays work, right? Like, because on some of these plays, he's kind of scrambling and making something out of nothing. So in my personal opinion, I think we should get rid of Nagy and just start fresh next year um, because there's a lot of, you know, top offensive minds that might be available to us. But uh, what do you think about Nagy? I was hoping you would bring up the penalties because that's absolutely where I wanted to take this. Like we, that I think the hardest part about watching this game for me, and I'll kick this to you, so think the hardest part about this game, but for me, it was this unbearably slow start. It felt like for the first quarter and a half, the Bears looked like one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst, though that's a pretty tough ask with Detroit out there, and yes, that's me taking a direct shot, but the illegal, there was nothing that defined this more to me than I think it was second and nine, in the first Bears drive, they ran the ball, set up third and five, and threw short of the sticks. <laughs> okay, not the start you want when you got the ball, but you punt, it comes back the other way, and then they start out with a three-series drive. They end up going three and out, and on this drive, they never have a single play where everybody knows where to be. Like, whether it's Justin Fields yelling, you get over here, come on, move in, or a double shift. They had one where they lined up in an illegal formation, shifted it to a legal formation. Justin Fields hits a pretty 17-yard corner route that doesn't count, and the Bears don't pick up any positive yards for the next, like, 10 football minutes after that. I mean, there was so much of this stuff where I, I literally couldn't tell you whether it felt overplanned. I couldn't tell you whether it felt just like mushy, whether it was a coach's fault or so on and so forth, but whatever it was, it looked like a disaster for crying out loud. And I did also, yeah, yeah. go, go ahead. No, no, no Also, like you can't blame this all on having a rookie quarterback because we've seen these things over the last three years now, even with Mitch, even with Nick Foles, a veteran quarterback, we've had these same exact problems every single year so at this point you're kind of asking yourself who is the real problem here it has to be Matt Nagy at this point the teacher right I mean for crying out loud like you're talking about I think it was Dan Durkin who made the joke on Twitter talking about like at this point it's just a Bears game ritual to take a timeout and have a penalty coming out of it but for crying out loud the Bears whether you want to say statistics or their general attitude after taking a break which usually comes by the way from not getting lined up in the first place is so abysmal it's like you can get really high on fields and still be there but 
what we saw to open this game was so, so poor. I mean, it took heroics. It took, we could save them, very good halftime adjustments to get the Bears back in the game. They obviously cobbled a decent plan together on the back end. But even so, I mean, I find myself at this stage legitimately wondering, not if, but when. Because the NFL just changed the rules. Like, if you have a fired head coach, you can start interviewing at the back end of the NFL season. So there's a legitimate advantage to firing your coach in season. And I'm just wondering when the shoe's going to drop. Because this felt, to me at least, like a game where with four offsides penalties, not not just three, not just two, you know, drive-killing like penalties that were on the coaching staff and so on and so forth, like... This was a game that felt to me like the coaching staff held back, I don't want to say an otherwise talented roster just yet, but that the slow start was very attributable to the guys in the coaching room and for guys in the hot seat, that can't be good, you know? I 100% agree with every single thing you said there. I mean, I think his seed already, like after the last couple losses we've had, especially the loss against the Buccaneers where we got just completely embarrassed in all different phases of the game. Our defense was horrible. Our offense was horrible. Like we've had so many of these losses now where I feel like even a good stretch to end, to end the year, it shouldn't save you because we've already seen so much bad from him already. But I just don't know what the McCaskies or whoever's going to make the decision. Like, what are they thinking about Matt Nagy? Like, if we have a good offense, are they going to keep him? Or does not matter on, like, if we win the games? Because, like, that's a legitimate question to ask. Like, will they give him the time to develop Justin Fields? I'm kind of getting scared they might do that if we actually have a good offense to end the year. I know, right? I mean, the worst part about this game was so... I remember I used to critique Mitch for the same thing, where it it was always hard to watch Mitch play hero when putting out his own fire. And in this, it felt like Justin Fields was playing hero, and so you want to almost give Matt Nagy some credit, like, oh, feisty team, never gave up, rah, 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 but... I mean, they were in a 14 or 14 to zero hole for a reason, and, and it wasn't because they were playing well. I mean, I get it. Everybody says constantly, right? Like, I just want this team to play four quarters of football. Well, yeah, so does everybody, you know? Like, if your team theoretically played what you would consider four quarters of football, they'd never lose on any given week because usually whenever your team doesn't play well is when you consider them not playing four quarter or like not playing quote unquote that quarter of football right but even so i mean i find it hard to re- or to look at this game as a redeemer of Nagy so much as that weird monkey's paw game that some Bears fan was out there wanting, right? Where they go, well, I don't want Matt Nagy to look good, but I want Justin Fields to play well. So figure that out. And and here we are, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally still think he's getting fired just because I don't see us beating teams like the Ravens or the Packers coming up or even the Seahawks, that's going to be with Russell Wilson coming back. So we could technically still be losing a lot of games to the point where, you know, if we have a really, really bad record, they could think about, like, blowing this up, like, maybe even firing the GM. Which, do you think Ryan Pace is going to be gone after this year? Like, what are your opinions on that? Mm. So the trouble there is that when you talk about whether Pace is going to be gone, I have to think about whether the McCaskies would fire him. Would I fire him? I wouldn't hesitate. I would have given him his walking papers last year. I am not a fan at all of the way that Ryan Pace seems to get a $500 refrigerator for $1,000, for instance. And you can look at Khalil Mack and say, he's a great player. How exciting is it to have Khalil Mack on your roster? But then you look at the rest of the roster and it feels like any quality player on the Bears is already being paid for, except for Roquan Smith and Jalen Johnson with some Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields in there. Sure, but I think it's just wild to me how Pace has managed his resources. The trouble is, I get the impression the McCaskies love him. So I don't know what's going to happen there, whether he's going to get his next shot, but... I I do think, for some reason, he might get a little more rope than Nagy. And if anything, it, I mean, we've just heard too many comments, right, about, oh, man, Ryan's brought a totally new shirt, to, or a totally new, like, style of football. He's brought the Bears into the future from there. And it seems like he's modernized him, but I don't know. What, what about you? Yeah, I kind of think the same things as you. Um, just because, like, 
drafting a quarterback i don't know like what the statistics are on like a gm getting fired their first year they draft a certain quarterback like i'm thinking that can't be that high because usually you want to give a you know a gm a couple years to work out with a rookie quarterback well pace has already been here for i think going on eight years now right it's it's eight years (laughs) (laughs) so it's been a very long time we still don't have a single playoff win and i know on twitter i joke all this all the time about him like being you know, doing good things here, doing good things there. But, like, obviously the track record overall is not that good. And like you mentioned, he hasn't developed the most resources into, you know, the offense. And that's where you win your games now in the NFL. So I think there are some things to be kind of happy about with Pace. Obviously getting Justin Fields, probably the best quarterback prospect in Bears history. That's something to be proud about. It seems like he's also kind of changing in his drafting. Like he used his first three picks last year on, you know, on the offense, but he did also trade up there, like to get Tevin Jenkins. He's traded up pretty much every single year, and we don't have the draft capital to necessarily like build the parts of the roster that we need to build up. We don't have the most depth either. So I think that long term pace has not been a good GM so far, but I could still see the Bears keeping him just because he drafted Justin Fields, and I guess they want to give him some time with Fields. I think maybe. That's- a- I think exactly what you're saying is the important part here, right? Where it's like Fields, or not Fields, Pace has hit on the stuff that makes you feel good, right? When you look at Akeem Hicks, when you look at the Khalil Mack trade, when you think about even the double doink, as silly as it sounds, I think that whether it's the McCaskies or a lot of Bears fans, a lot of people have taken a first round exit and told themselves they were a kicker away from winning the Super Bowl right? Which is some good feelies, if nothing else. So now you draft Justin Fields, you bring him in, and and the good feelies are still there. And I sat here and I watched today on Twitter some people run through some mock drafts, seeing we have five picks and only two of them are in the top 100. And I remembered exactly why I am not a huge fan of Ryan Pace. I mean, the Bears need a reboot in the worst way. If they theoretically, I I don't want to use the, never mind, that's that's a conversation for another day. But talking about Pace, I know this reminded me, this game, watching Kendall Vildor play meaningful reps, knowing he's not the injury corner, right? He's the original, like, picked at the start of the season, CB2. Like, we, we had him compete. With Desmond Trufant, but that's it, right? He ends up coming in, got toasted today by one of the worst passing attacks in football. Then Duke Shelley, he'll get toasted by San Francisco and likely somebody else throughout the season. Mario Edwards, one of Pace's recent big signings. Look, I don't think he's playing badly, but he's gotten more penalties recently than he has big plays. Like, there are a bunch of these guys that you could point at. Travis Gibson is not a very good safety. And a lot of the other talent that was intended to start on this defense. And I think you can see a dearth of resources. I feel bad for Sean Desai. I honestly feel bad criticizing the defense because, truth be told, in case any Bears fans out there wondering why I'm not just bringing the hammer out, it's because I feel bad, like, complaining about Danny Trevathan because I didn't expect anything out of him in the first place. You know what I mean? Like... It's one thing to be disappointed that Roquan Smith isn't surging forward as a spectacular player in the midst of a lot of the other supposed to be spectacular players on this Bears defense missing time. It's another thing to dog on Kendall Vildor for being a fifth round pick pressed into duty. You know what I mean? 100% dude. You you said it best. Like he is just not devoted enough resources into the offense and also with the defense, he just has not been able to either sign guys this year to play cornerback or he just, I mean, obviously like bringing back Jimmy Graham was probably the worst decision I've seen out of any GM in like a very, very long time because even us Bears fans, we could tell that Jimmy is not really doing much for offense. We had, you know, uh, Jesper Horsta kind of outplaying him in training camp this year. And I don't know what his cap hit was this year, but it was, I think it was like around like 8 million or 9.8 roughly. Yeah. And then we, we push some of the money into the future, too, for Jimmy Graham, which just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. You saw him today. He wasn't really doing anything out there. He dropped a touchdown pass. He did catch another one, which got called back. But he has not been a big factor. Not He hasn't been any factor in our offense this year. And we're paying him that much money, which we could have devoted to getting a cornerback number two or maybe another pass rusher or maybe a defensive lineman. So there are some things I really love about Pace. Like I still think he's not the worst possible GM just because I am 
kind of happy, like you mentioned, that he got us Justin Fields, that he is at least getting us, I guess, like mediocre teams. But we should be looking beyond mediocre at this point. Like we should be hopefully building towards Super Bowls. And I don't, I don't know if we're doing that right now. So I think the key in the GM conversation, which truth be told, like after the sponsor break, because we'll they'll the sponsors will get their words in, friends. We we are going to talk about the refs. I think that there is a refs conversation to be had, and I'm not normally a blame the refs kind of guy. I would rather be an overcome the refs kind of guy. But when it comes to GM, I think the most important thing when it or that you can take away from that is that I don't think that there's a single job in the NFL that's easier to just pick up where somebody else left off than general manager. Like, a new coach has to come in and establish their tempo, hire their staff, bring in a whole bunch of people, and reset the way that everybody does literally everything. A GM, on the other hand, walks into a team, takes the resources, and sure, they've got to bring in their scouting staff. They probably have to hire a coach. Absolutely. But there's less intrinsic cost switching gms than there is switching head coaches unless you think about it from like an organizational like top-down standpoint but that seems like a lot of thinking i don't know the trouble for me is i would love to see the bears manage their resources differently especially with justin fields i mean the bears have a rookie contract on the roster and they still they still have cap trouble which says a lot about the way that they've managed things but we digress I think I think we got to get out of the way at this point. We are deep into this podcast so that the sponsors can get their word in, and we'll be back on the other side in just a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with Rishab Sikri, talking football, talking Chicago Bears, loss 29 to 27, which is always weird to say for a game I'm so upbeat about. But when you look at this game, I think that there's going to be a conversation about refereeing. I've heard wild Twitter takes about protest the game, about NFL should issue an apology. Where is your head at? When it came to what you saw from the strikes. I'm kind of like in the moment I was saying those exact same things, same things. I was like, oh my God, the refs should be fired immediately. We should like, I don't know, we should do like crazy things and all. And that was obviously in the heat of the game. But I, I mean, I totally agree. Like you said, there were a lot of blown calls that went against us that a lot of them, you couldn't even tell what, what the Bears were doing wrong. Like for the touchdown, they called back for Jimmy Graham. I think they called 68 or who did they call on that? What did they even oh, call? Oh gosh, it? you mean James Daniels? The low block yeah, okay. penalty? James Daniels, yeah. They called the block penalty there, which even the commentating crew was like, what did they do you agree with that call, by the way? Was that like a BS call in your opinion? So it's brand new, is the trouble. It's basically a call to get rid of cut blocking. And I'm glad you asked about it, because I I did know what it is. So if you've never seen a cut block, it's the one or or you've heard the term, but you don't know what it is. It's the one where an offensive lineman throws their whole body at the knees and lower of a defensive player, the the really fast block. And that can turn into a lot of people getting hurt. So it's been a safety concern, and the NFL instituted a low block rule that outside of the tight end box, you can't cut. And what's been funny has been watching the way that people uh, <laughs> adapt to this because you've seen Jason Peters continue to cut block. He just doesn't hit the person. Like, he, he aims for about half a yard in front of of the player and just shoots low but even so that call was so weird because daniels barely touched watt like even if you thought that he cut block him which 
according to that tight end rule, they even showed the box on ESPN. I thought they covered it pretty well that he was within the legal area to strike at the lower area of the defender. Even then I would consider it too much of a whiff to, to like take a touchdown off the board. But I'm also the person who, whether it was against the bears or for the bears would have let Zach Miller keep his touchdown. So that's just me. But this definitely was the kind of game, I I don't know. Like, there are going to be people that talk about the roughing the passer misses, which I think there's a conversation there, but it, it'll be had by plenty of other people. This was exactly the kind of game that made me wish that there was a Sky official that could, whether it's call down and revoke bad penalties or potentially layer on penalties that were wildly missed, it would be nice to have, for lack of a better word, a replay official that could get on the phone or buzz somebody's hip pocket and be like, hey, you should pick that up because that's not what you thought it was. And I don't know. It it felt as if there was a massive skew against the Bears, so much so that even Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick continued wow. to bring I it know. up. And it was a bizarre game to watch, if, if yes, for only that yes. reason alone. I mean, I think the thing is also, like, Bears fans always complain about something with the refs, and that's usually just us being biased. But in this game, like, even fans of other teams, besides Steelers fans, even, like, I don't know, Vikings fans, I was seeing like even Lions fans on Twitter, they're like, oh my God, the Bears are getting absolutely robbed here. And the commentators were talking about it too. So I think this was an extremely one-sided game by the referees and in, in you know the penalties that they were calling. Now that's not to excuse the Bears loss or anything. We still should have played better if we wanted to win this game on defense. We started out way too slowly on offense. But for a team that's rebuilding like the Bears right now, like we can't overcome stuff like that. So that's why we're so mad when those calls happen. Right. And not to mention, okay, so look, I don't think that the calls that I'm about to mention were particularly great. I think the Bears made both of these plays, but I've seen referees make different decisions on Marquise Goodwin's 50-yard ball where, like the commentators even said, like, it looks as if the ball's moving around, even though Marquise had the ball in an awkward place between his hands. Like, you could have called that a drop if you really wanted to. It's a catch by my standard, but my standard doesn't matter. I'm a guy on the internet and the fumble on, or I think it was Ray Ray McLeod's fumble on the punt that got taken back for a touchdown. The fact they ruled it a touchdown in the first place surprised me. Then watching it on the replay again, I like the fact that it was a fumble ruling, but there was enough things that went the bears way that it doesn't negate the problems with officiating. It's just that like you're talking about, it felt like they got their breaks in other directions, right? Even so, I definitely feel like games like these, sure, it, it's helpful when it's on prime time. It's extra helpful when it's against your team, so you feel like you've got a stake in it. But calls like that taunting call on the guy, I think it was Cassius Marsh, who got cut from the Steelers two months ago and made a huge coverage sack on third down to get the ball back and tried, as far as I could tell, not to celebrate. Instead, just looking at the other team because he's a competitor and drawing a taunt. I mean, there was a lot of this stuff that I find myself looking at just wondering if the NFL really thinks this is the product that they want to put out on the field because Justin Fields was electric. The game itself was dramatic, but the referee's consistent injections, when you've got your own broadcasting staff at ESPN just ragging on the officials, that's not what anybody wants. You know what I mean? I don't. I mean, I've never met a single person so far that likes the taunting rule in the NFL this year. It's just the worst possible thing because when you're in the moment making a big play, you're not really thinking about the stuff that's coming out of your mouth. And obviously, as a fan, you want to see people celebrate. You want to see people like talking trash back and forth. And that's like that's something that makes the game fun, at least for me. So taking that joy away from the game where you can't even like trash talk or anything, you can't even like look at the sideline or something like that is. It's just like taking away the fun of the game because it's impacting the results of games. And that's not what should be impacting the results. It should be your play on the field. So it, it's really stupid in my opinion, man. 100%. I mean, I think I think the hardest part about this game is that at the end of the day, whether it is the Packers jumping off sides. That, now, I will say the offsides rules are getting a little ridiculous because what is it? A couple weeks ago, we saw two guys jump over the line and come back wearing green and yellow 
the Packers on that play that did not get called off sides, turns into an interception, which is fine. That's the way that I've always seen the rule called. And then last week, I can't remember which defender it was, basically flinched. Oh, it was the guy against James Daniels. There was somebody across from James Daniels that flinched. Daniels jumps up, draws an offsides. And in this game, Roquan Smith's, like, uh, what is it? Like, pops his feet a couple times at the line of scrimmage. I'm not convinced he was offsides there. Like, having watched that back, it looked to me like he was right where Robert Quinn was. So maybe they were both offsides because four offsides in the game. But that there there was some weird stuff throughout this one that I, I don't think it places a black mark. It's not an asterisk. This is football. You know what I mean? But it was a real bummer watching that first touchdown come off the board and immediately the Bears took a 15-yard penalty the other way and didn't get it back off of what felt like a two-step roughing the passer. Ugh, there's just a lot there. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like Fields is going to get those roughing the passer calls as he becomes a star quarterback in this league because you I guess the refs usually give those calls to like Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady because they have a stature in this league, which that's not how the game should be called, but that's kind of how they call it just because they have that respect, I guess. So it's kind of like the NBA, like the veterans get all the fouls and everything. And so far, Justin Fields, he's a rookie. So I guess he's not going to get those rough in the passer calls. And he also, I mean, for like dual threat quarterbacks, especially, especially like Cam Newton, even Lamar Jackson, they're kind of more hesitant to call the rough in the passer because they kind of think that you're, you know, obviously running and, you know, they don't want to call Roughing the passer there. So it's kind of tough, obviously, but I think that in the future, hopefully, Fields gets those calls. Yeah, and I think that's the part that makes this so complicated is that there are some of these. I remember even the ESPN crew, to bring them up for what feels like the fourth time this podcast, was talking as if there should have been potentially a flag on that second down run Fields had where he slid and the guy came over him. I mean, there is a lot of this stuff where Fields, when he gives himself up as a runner, is a runner. And you're not afforded a lot of the protections that you get otherwise. But there's there's a balance there for sure. Either way, I felt like we would be remiss, right, if we didn't at least mention the refereeing. Because there's going to be a lot of zebra talk as the Bears now fall to 3-6. and six, You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> All right. So, couple final questions before we sign off. Number one, does this game change your opinion about Matt Nagy? No, not at all, dude. I mean, we started out this game really bad. We came, I mean, we were down 14 0 at the beginning. We've had pretty much the same start we've had every single game. It seems like in the Matt Nagy era where we just cannot do anything on offense at the beginning. And then finally, we get a couple of touchdowns. We get into it. I will give him credit, obviously, for the halftime adjustments that he made and for him being able to motivate his team to keep on fighting because it seems like every single year we don't just give up after all these losses, like we come back, at least make our season somewhat respectable. So I still think he is like maybe a decent coach, like as a motivator, but as a play caller, I don't have the most faith in him. Um, as a teacher, I don't have the most faith in him because we still keep on making these dumb penalties, illegal formations, all that. He's not been teaching our guys, I guess, the right stuff. So long-term, I still want him gone, but I feel like there there were some positives in this game that I didn't see coming. Yeah, I feel like that's a decent way to put it, right? Where, I, I don't know, there are a lot of people who would like to be say that Matt Nagy is one of the worst coaches in the NFL, and I don't think I agree with that. At even, even where he is now, I feel like he's clearly too good of a motivator, and yet the Bears are so undisciplined and so poor when it comes to the details that Nagy preaches that it's clearly time for change. I mean, whatever number you want to put on him, right? Whether you think he's the 22nd best, whether you think he's the 32nd best, like, I I personally feel like there's not a lot of reasons to keep him, at the very least, given what we've seen with Anthony Lynn getting handed, or, like, Justin Herbert going from Anthony Lynn to whoever is his coach now, because it I forget, oh, it's, it's Brandon Staley, and looking just fine. Like, clearly you can make the change from a rookie, and you'll be all right, but there's all right that's where we're at with Matt Nagy when it comes to this game what was most exciting for you yeah most exciting definitely that last touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney because I was screaming at the top of my lungs when that happened I was even like live streaming on YouTube my reaction so that had to be like the most excited I've been for a at the end of an ending of a Bears game in like at least a couple years because we saw our rookie quarterback go out there against the Steelers on like such a big stage you know, get that touchdown pass right in Darnell Mooney's hands. And 
I thought at the time that we were going to go on to win this game because our defense was coming through with a couple stops throughout the game. So I thought maybe we can get one more, but sadly we lost. But that was by far the most exciting moment of the game. I can't agree more. There's not a better one. I mean, the most surprising moment for me was no doubt the punt ret- or the punt touchdown with, I think it's Joel E.A. Booneyway causing a fumble, DeAndre Houston Carson, who seems to be just everywhere when it comes to big plays, picks up the ball and scores. But Justin Fields not only living up to the moment, but living up to the moment in a hilarious hurry. I mean, he goes from two-minute warning into the end zone in two plays with, like, 16 seconds of game clock. It was it was kind of funny, all things told, just how well Fields lived up to expectations. I mean, let's be honest. We were all thinking about how this was Fields' primetime debut. And no, America's Game of the Week against Tampa Bay does not count. Like, this game, Monday Night Football, was a big one for him, and I think he came out on a big stage in a big way, which matters. What worries you most about this game going forward? What worries me is that I still feel like long-term, there's a lot of question marks about like the pieces on the Bears right now, right? Like We're not getting production out of guys like Kendall Vildor, like Duke Shelley. So there's like so many holes on the roster right now that I feel like against better teams not to say the Steelers aren't a good team but they're not like an elite team like the Buccaneers or the Packers or the Cardinals so we still don't stack up well against the elite teams in the NFL so that kind of worries me kind of looking at like the future right because we have a lot of pieces to fill we don't have a lot of draft picks to fill them we don't have I mean we do have cap space but we have a lot of guys we have to resign um and positions we have to fill so it's going to be rough kind of building a team around this but I I do have faith in the quarterback now I just don't have the most faith in the Bears organization still. Yeah, I I agree. Like, what you're saying is what I was planning on saying. <laughs> Where <laughs> The scariest part about this defense isn't that I feel like they played poorly, per se, but that they played up to what I would expect from each of them individually. Does that make sense? This wasn't the 2018 Chicago Bears defense blowing a gasket against Brock Osweiler in Miami. This was... Ben Roethlisberger, a savvy veteran, picking on a whole bunch of guys that probably wouldn't be starting on a whole bunch of other teams, you know? I mean, the Bears looked to me like a team that was strapped for talent, especially on the defensive end. And that means it's going to take multiple picks, it's going to take multiple signings, and the Bears only have five draft picks and a little bit of cap space. We've already talked about that. I don't see where that gets better fast. And I don't know if I trust the Bears to truly take like a dead year in 2022. They could help them come out fresh in 2023. But even so, hey, you know what? Justin feels look good. And at the end of the day, it's pretty positive, right? It is, dude. I mean, we've also seen good quarterbacks with bad rosters. They can still sometimes win. You can't win Super Bowls with that, but you can still, you know, make fun seasons out of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And... The Bears, as we know, they headed to next week's big game against Bay, where hopefully they can come out with a win, but you never know. They may end up extending their four-game losing streak. But when it comes to, all jokes aside, the Bears going forward, what do you want to see from the rest of this season? Just continue to see growth from Justin Fields. I think we can all agree that's the only thing that matters at this point because like we already talked about, the playoffs are kind of out of the picture now for us. Uh, yeah, we're kind of still in it. We're only like a game and a half behind. But realistically, we are not going to make the playoffs. So if we can keep seeing these performances from Justin Fields where he's, you know, for example, throwing for almost 300 yards, where he's like coming back against even good teams. Like, for, I mean, next year or next week against the Ravens, that's going to be a tough matchup on both sides of the football. If Justin Fields can have a great performance against that defense, if after that he can have a good performance against whoever we're playing, I think it's a Lions on Thanksgiving, that's going to give fans hope for the future. So that's literally all I care about right now. How does Justin Fields look? Does he look like a star quarterback? Does he look like he has a lot of potential? That is what I care about for this season. Yep, 
I could not agree more. I mean, my mind calls all the way back to 2017. So fair warning, any Bears fans, we're about to we're about to revisit some painful memories. Okay, but so I remember back with Mitch's. I think it was his first start against the Vikings. In a big moment, he ended up throwing a, a massive interception to Harrison Smith, and then in a huge game where Mitch Trubisky was going to really show out on a big stage against the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's say let's just say he did not have a banner day. But he beat the Browns. Hey, he beat the worst team in the league at the time. And he danced on the Bengals that same season. But there was a whole lot walking out of that season of question marks because he Mitch played his best games against the only teams that you would peg him to play well against. If you considered him not very good, he beat the Browns, he beat the Bengals, and neither were great that year. And he played decently. No, actually, if memory serves, he got smoked by the Lions. <laughs> so that's... Let's just leave that oh, at the yeah, door. Right. <laughs> I think what I was most scared about with Justin yeah. Fields was that we would get a statistically good performance against the Lions where he tossed some bombs, right? But then we would get a Fields that got stomped by Tampa Bay. We would get a Fields that played poorly. Not poorly, but certainly the miscommunications he had with Allen Robinson made his Packers game. The highs were not that high, and the lows were pretty low. You know what I mean? Gets destroyed. We already mentioned Tampa Bay, but you could throw Cleveland in there too. We needed him to do better against not just the Lions and not just Minnesota. I think you would agree. So he comes out against San Francisco, and he doesn't throw for 200 yards, but he does rush for 100. So a lot of people that want to be excited get excited. Now we get this game against the Steelers. It's an opponent the Bears don't even play that often. So you know that you're getting, at the very least, like a primetime game against an unknown opponent. And I think that stuff carries a lot of weight, right? It's It doesn't lock him in as a sure thing. Nobody's saying it does. But I can absolutely envision a scenario where he throws for 160 yards and a touchdown and a pick and the bears don't really have an answer. He comes out of the bye week, throws like 170 yards, rushes for 60, plays the lions, plays really well, beats the Vikings once, loses to the Vikings once. And we come out where if you were already excited about Justin Fields, you were already like you stay excited about him. If you were down on Justin Fields, you have reasons to be down on him. But walking out of today's game, I feel like even people that were starting to let doubt creep into their mind probably were at, at the very least lifted up a little bit. You know what I mean? They had to be. This is also a top 10 defense according to a lot of the metrics. So they had a lot of talent on that defense. They had veterans on that defense too. And to come up against that defense with all the problems we have in this offense and to ball out in the way that you did, that is very impressive Like for your rookie year. Mm-hmm. So that, was, that was amazing. Another person that I feel like let's – okay, so – I just had this idea on the spot, but let's totally do it. Let's let's do a segment. I'll call it Tip the Cap, where if you were going to name something positive about the Steelers, like for all the Steelers fans that may listen to this, where did the Steelers impress you? I'll tell you, Mike Tomlin never ceases to surprise me with what he's able to get out of his teams, where as the Bears started to storm back, he Chris Boswell hit some big kicks. The Steelers' offense continued to click. I mean, even when they tried weird stuff like that <laughs> Big Ben like zone read that didn't quite work, they hung in there. They got the plays that they needed, which, as silly as it sounds, is everything we've seen of Tomlin. I, I don't know if I walked away, again, like the keyword, like impressed in a league with the Rams and the the Rams and the Buccaneers, the Packers with Rodgers, like there are a lot of really good teams out there, but Tomlin Steelers never cease to surprise me. And this was a game that if I could be honest with you, I feel like the way the bears were playing, they absolutely should have won and they didn't. So I'd credit Tomlin for that. What did you see from them? I totally agree with everything you said there. I mean, it feels like even when the opponents are out playing, you know, Tomlin's teams, they still somehow win. I mean, he hasn't had a losing season since, like, I think it's been, like, 18 or 19 years at this point. So I still think that, you know, they're in good hands coaching-wise. They still have a lot of talent on their roster, on the defense especially. I mean, their defense was giving our offense problems for a good portion of the game until we finally came back and we made the halftime adjustments. So, you know, T.J. Watt, he had, I think he had, like, three or four sacks in this game too. So T.J. Watt had a very big night. He is still by far a superstar and he's going to feast on quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, especially like Justin Fields. So I think that, you know, there's a chance the Steelers could still make the playoffs. I mean, I don't, I haven't looked at the standings right now, but I think they're still in the mix. So I would still be, you know, pretty happy if I was a Steelers fan. 
good lord, all you reminded me of was that awful, awful play where, truth be told, I mean, Brian Greasy mentioned that he had it on Justin Fields. I have no idea what the assignment there is, but Justin Fields, what is it, faking that handoff on the play-action pass and getting just drilled before he even turned around? Like, gosh, I don't think I'm going to have near as much fun (laughs) watching this game back for Wednesday night's stream, like for the first half. But yeah. <laughs> it's worth it for the back end, right? 100%, dude. I mean, the beginning was really bad, but then the way we came back, I think that made the game pretty fun to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where do you think the Bears go from here? Like, we've talked about what you want to see, but mm. what are you waiting on as we head into the bye week before we close up? Are you talking about, like, wins or losses or just, like... I don't know. Like, whether it's stuff on your channel, honestly, let's get really broad, yeah. right? Like, whether yeah. whether it's stuff on your channel, whether it's things that you want to see from the Bears, things that you just think will happen, what do you think is next for you and the team? Well, personally, I want to see the Bears probably, I don't know. I think Justin, what, what are, like, the Bears' rookie records? Because I think he could break, like, a lot of them still. I think, like, the passing yard record is, like, super low. Passing um, yard record's pretty low, and he's got a lot of games to do it, which is yeah, on to. his side. I think, yeah, what is it? I think it's if he throws for 10 touchdowns, he's got <laughs> one half of the rookie record. But Windy City Gridiron's own Jack Silverstein pointed out that there's a guy whose name escapes me that threw for 13 touchdowns in, like, 1942 that the Bears basically forgot about and have credited Kyle Orton's nine-touchdown season as the rookie record for forever. So I don't know what number he needs to clear to announce it. But either right. way, that's that's on the, like, or on the, what is it, the horizon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... It- I think, like, all those records are still, I mean, they could be achieved, right? Because we have an extra game this year. We also have a game coming up against the Lions where I hope he goes off on that game on Thanksgiving. That's going to be a lot of fun if we get a good performance out of fields there. So I'm pretty much just looking forward to more good performances out of fields. Like, I don't see our team necessarily winning enough to make the playoffs. I don't think we're going to be a good team down the stretch. We got, you know, battles against the Ravens, the Seahawks, like, really tough teams. So it might not be pretty you know, looking at the results. But if we just see all these big players out of fields, if we can continue to make some highlight reels for fields and, like, all the other players in the Bears, like, that would that would make me pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest part to watch about this is that right as Fields seems to have hit his stride, the Bears' defense yeah, seems to have lost the edge yeah. that yeah. made them the Bears' defense, and now they look more like the 2020 Chargers. But... Yeah. Even with that, I mean, maybe the Bears will get back E. Jackson Mac uh, at some point, and that'll help him out. Eddie Jackson's hamstring injury has me worried, if only because I feel like it's always hard for people to come back 100% from hammies. Not to mention, we're not really mentioning that Allen Robinson went down with an injury at the end of the game. And I yeah. think it's either an ankle or it's uh, a like a tissue injury. I can't remember quite what I read right before we started the show, but either way, that's not good. But with that in mind, Justin Fields at the end of that game was oozing confidence. He was oozing it factor. I mean, you can't not be excited to watch it. It'll be interesting because, you know, you watch all these other teams, right? I can think of a couple. The Panthers, the Falcons, the Eagles, right? You go, man, these teams, they're not very good. But I guess they're not bad. And it's weird to think about, like, the Bears are one of those teams. We just know them a little too well to be realistic about the fact that, yeah, sure, the Bears may be a slightly better team than I think their three and six record at this point. I don't think that they're going to be playing the Vikings and the and the Vikings will find it an easy contest, but their record isn't great either. So there's a whole lot of weird on the Bears schedule that won't mean much in terms of the wins and losses, because if you aren't making the playoffs, what are you doing when you don't have a first round pick? But even like as long as the bears have Justin Fields and Justin Fields remains healthy, I think they're going to come out the winners of this season, you know? Yeah. Maybe they, not total, but, but at least yeah. winners in their own way. <laughs> no, I agree with all of that, man. If Justin Fields looks good, that's literally what most bears fans care about. If we have more games like this, to be honest, like where we're, even if we're coming back from like bad starts, if Justin Fields looks good in them, that's pretty much what we care about. So. Absolutely. Well, Thank you so much for coming on. We put together a nice little hour show here from 11 to midnight. So tell the folks at home, what are you working on next? What you got going on? 
Yeah, so I'll be coming out with a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel, obviously breaking down this game. I know we got a bye week now, so I won't have much content about the Bears coming up, but I will have a lot of Bulls content too. I've started doing Bulls content as well. So if you guys want to watch some Bulls content, Chicago sports content, content in general, definitely subscribe to my channel, the Windy City Productions. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's a big season for the Bulls, right? I mean, I'm I'm a Mavs yeah. guy, so you got to tell me about oh, it. Man. Like, what is yeah. going on with the Bulls? Man, we changed our entire front office. We got a new head coach, something the Bears should do as well. And everything has changed regarding the Bulls, man. Like, we actually got some really good trades this offseason. We got, you know, good signings as well. So, it's, uh, I think, for the first time since I think it was like 1990s or something, like, we actually have a very good start to the season. That's so legit. I mean, couldn't be any more different if I'm not understanding than what's going on with the uh, Blackhawks. But, we don't oh, need yeah. to get into that side of it. <laughs> Either way, thank you so much for jumping on. Great having you. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. That was a lot of fun. And Bears fans, if you can't tell by my voice right now, it's late, and that'll do it for this one. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Be sure to tune in to the rest of this week's show. We've got Baron Balance coming up, Bears Banter with Bill Zimmerman. We've got Bears Over Beers. More than likely, I have no idea what they're going to preview this week, but they do a great job and have with all sorts of guests throughout this season. And of course, Lester Wilfong's T-Formation conversation. Plenty of other stuff going on on the Windy City Gridiron Podcast Network. So please leave a rating, whether it's through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to. And be sure to leave your feedback, whether it's on Twitter at my handle, at Robert K. Schmitz, or at YouTube or Windy City Gridiron comment section. Let us know how we can improve, what you're liking, what you're not, and everything therein. Thanks so much. Have a great one, and until next time, thank you so much for bearing with me.